Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, Anika Monari out of the United Kingdom, co-founder and CEO of Coral. Coral is a B2B e-commerce marketplace using artificial intelligence. Find out how her company is helping customers find customers cheaper and faster and products and services as well. So don't go away. In this week's tech news... I wanted to talk about generative AI, which is what we've been talking about for a couple of months now. Since JetGPT made a splash, so much has been happening in this space. So most recently, ChatGPT reached 100 million users, took only two months. Google announced its competing product, Bard, and then lost 100 million in market value when Bard gave an incorrect result in a demo. And then Microsoft also announced how their strengthening partnership with OpenAI, ChatGPT's parent company, in order to give a ChatGPT experience on steroids built into the browser itself. So generative AI is here to stay. It's kind of the hot thing right now, but also how it's going to affect how we work, live, and play. So if you want to learn more information about it, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Anika Monari. And that is the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Q. Special guest today is my good friend, Anika Monari out of the UK. Anika has done quite a bit in her career. We won't give it all away, but CERN Particle Physicist is one of them and is the CEO of a startup called Coral, transforming e-commerce and supply chain. Welcome, Anika. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me. So, Anika, always great to catch up with you in real life and now also on my show. Uh, before we get started in terms of what Coral is, you have such a fascinating background. Uh, how did you go from university to CERN to entrepreneur? What was that journey like? Uh, good question. Um, yeah, so I started um, my bachelor's in physics uh, when I was obviously around 18 at Imperial College in London. Um, and then I kind of, you know, started learning about particle physics, um, did my master's and during my master's, you know, you have to write your thesis. And, um, so I was doing my master's in particle physics and I, um, you know, I was looking at essentially, um, you know, CERN, the large Hadron Collider in, um, in Switzerland. Um, there's a, I'm sure, you know, like most of the universe is dark matter. Um, but it's impossible to detect cause it's dark and every kind of particle or, you know, you've heard about the God particle, all these things, um, they interact with lights and that's how you detect them. And dark matter, obviously by the name doesn't. Right. And so like, essentially it's like 94, 96% or something like that. It's yeah, it's 75% or something. So the way they detect it typically is like the gravity you feel at a certain point in the universe is really, really strong, like way stronger than the visible matter would produce. Um, actually it was a, a girl in university in Australia that found like some of the biggest reserves in the universe, um, in the, in the 2010s or something. But, um, yeah, so I, I found that pretty fascinating and, um, you know, there was some research going on at CERN to kind of try and detect 
dark matter by looking at all the visible um, interactions and saying, okay, well then this percent, we know that there's something going on there, but we don't know what it is. It, it must be dark matter. And then comparing the attributes of that set of things happening with the papers of people um, theorizing how dark matter would behave. Um, people in, in physics generally, they have a, a reticence as the whole world does towards AI, um, particularly machine learning, because it's like a black box. And then it becomes hard to write the research about how your uh, model semantically fits the theorized models. Um, but what I realized is there was a, a way of using, you know, um, different neural models to um, retain uh, the kind of semantic um, understanding of what's going on, but still leverage the benefits of machine learning. And so what I what I did is I improved the um, the at a three uh, sigma significance, I improved the um, accuracy of dark matter detection um, uh, 20 percent um, by using um, a few different machine learning models and replacing the kind of old way of doing things. And so that's that's how I kind of got into you know, got into that whole got into that whole thing in university. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's funny because I thought you were wondering how you got into that black hole of things, but no, that's a, a great story. <laughs> right. Well, well, that's certainly very impressive. Imperial College London, of course, and then on to your career at CERN. So, how did that help you, or how did that transition happen? And of course, I know your story, but how did you transition from that into what you're doing today? And it was like a there was like a startup and a blockchain thing along the way. Yeah, that's good. I know you know, like it's like one of those movie stories that I promise you is real. Um, but essentially, what happened is like obviously, as a student, you have no money, and um, you know, I was sitting in the cafeteria one day, and you know, there's this um, amazing company called Entrepreneur First in London, which takes technical people and puts them together in cohorts and lets them start companies and they fund them. Um, and they, when Bitcoin was around like 200, 300 pounds, um, you know, they basically had a um, competition that was like, win, uh, predict the price of Bitcoin, win 300 pounds, win a Bitcoin, right? And I was like, oh, I'm going to like just try and do this, right? And, um, you know, at the time, CERN was changing their energy levels in the Hadron Collider, so it was more powerful. And all my models broke. Yeah, I would have had to retrain them and reconfigure them because the you know, the particles were just different, right? And so what I did is I um, was like, oh, okay, I'll take this opportunity. And Stanford's natural language processing for sentiment library had just come out like recently, you know, it was like research papers on their website. And so I, I went in there and I, um, you know, pulled out a couple of models and I, I ran them on uh, Twitter feeds for Bitcoin. Um, which was quite a good thing to do back then, like mm -hmm. without realizing it really, because it was such a contained market that, you know, the, the Twitter feeds were basically the only place people were like talking about this thing. So I was like analyzing sentiment and trying to like understand what they were saying. And I ended up predicting it with like 65 or 70 percent accuracy, um, you know, at the time. I mean, obviously afterwards as it grew, mm -hmm. this was no longer true, uh, just to, you know, like clarify. Um, but what ended up happening is in the in the way I, I found Ethereum, it was just starting, right? And I uh, participated in the ICO. Um, and it, it was like this world of amazement for me because it combined like economics and maths and computing, which was like my sweet spot. And I, you know, started building blockchains. Um, and if you know what a DAO is, a decentralized autonomous organization, Yep. Um, they rely on uh, voting with tokens, essentially, as the governance mechanism. Um, I was one of the founders of that model. Um, 
along with a guy called Amin Soleimani. Um, and we came up with this thing called the token curated registry, which was this idea that, you know, you could use tokens as almost like a representation of your buy-in or your like, you know, commitment, almost like shares and vote with those for certain, you know, um, decisions as like a open organization. Right. Um, and so I did that. And then I started uh, like kind of went in a few different places, but I ended up doing like the 39th ICO in the world um, and raised about like 30 million at the time um, in 2017 for um, a protocol that was doing like NFT kind of fair distribution, um, specifically on ticketing called Aventus. Um And then we turned it into a layer two and we were doing all this stuff and I had enterprise blockchain kind of going um, on top to try and get this adopted, right? And our coin ended up on Coinbase and all this stuff. And it was like a crazy ride, you know, going to those crazy conferences with like Lambos everywhere and like, you know, crazy times, right? Well, well, it, it is crazy times, but but now you, you're you moving on. And in our next segment, we're going to talk about Coral, but fascinating trajectory. I mean, you've done more than most people do in a single lifetime. So... <laughs> Thanks again for being here. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Q. Special guest today is my good friend, Annika Monari from the UK, talking about her career so far. And then we're going to be talking about her startup, Coral. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at info at svi.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Don't go away. Keith will be right back with more Silicon Valley Insider. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, special guest is Annika Monari, founder or co-founder and CEO of Coral out of the UK. We've not talked about Coral yet, but we have been talking about Annika's career thus far. So going to Imperial College London, becoming a particle physicist at CERN, uh, being involved in one of the very first ICOs ever, initial coin offerings, amongst other things. So Annika, welcome back. Thanks. You know, Annika, before we get into uh, too much more on the company and where things are headed, I did want to talk a little bit because um, you're a pioneer already in the field and there aren't a lot of women doing what you're doing. That's just the nature of tech. And I know you're speaking at a women's conference coming up. What is your thoughts on what the opportunities are for women in tech? How are they going to get their start and how are they going to rise up? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, the world is definitely changing, um, but I like to look at uh, weaknesses as strengths. So for me, being a woman, sometimes it's not ideal because people don't treat you that well. In certain cultures, you're kind of looked at in a way that maybe gives you a disadvantage, um, just culturally speaking. For me, I look at it as an advantage in different ways because it means that when you do rise up, you're the only one. Um, there are very few people like you. There are very few people who are able to represent something that's kind of important 
in terms of the uh, cultural significance of like women in tech of women anywhere right and so it turns into a massive advantage actually and it turns into a unique value proposition and something that gets you more press something that gets you more opportunity and so a lot of people you know they concentrate on the on the on the struggles and the difficulties and all those things and instead i like to concentrate on the you know the power that you get from first of all accomplishments but second of all uh having that value proposition that's so inherent it's like uh it's an arbitrage in some sense you know because there's no it's not like women and men are inherently different it's not like intellectually speaking women are inferior or men are inferior it's a, just a distribution of intellect amongst the whole population right and so for me it's a massive arbitrage that this stigma exists you just have to kind of get through some of the you know softer skill difficulties let's say in rising up but it makes you stronger and you get even stronger than some of the men out there who didn't have that adversity coming up got it thank you and while we're at it why don't you talk a little bit about your upcoming conference you'll be speaking at oh yeah so we can i don't want to uh, disclose too much because it hasn't been properly announced but essentially what we're talking about and it ties into what i'm doing at coral is in retail, particularly second and third tier retail, but then also supply chain more generally, you see a lot of family businesses or family motivated businesses in B2B. And many of, it was obviously very male dominated before, but now you have these younger women uh, rising up, you know, the daughters of these men and they have to kind of take over. There's a, a beautiful opportunity, this like, this merging of opportunities where you have these women, like I say, with an arbitrage, with a oftentimes a real fire behind them and motivation to like win. Uh, and then on the other side, you have technology and all these things coming up, AI, whatever it is, uh, starting to come and disrupt these industries. And when I say disrupt, I don't mean remove them. I mean, empower them and give them you know, a lower cost of capital, a lower cost of customer acquisition, a, a wider distribution of customers to reach that they didn't really have access to before because everything was offline and manual. And so the merge of these two things means amazing opportunity to empower these women with technology and other skills to when they take over and they're like, okay, I'm in this male dominated industry. There are all these like, you know, older men there who daughters maybe eventually will come up or sons who came up. I have this opportunity to use something that hasn't entered this industry yet that hasn't conquered this industry yet. And I can take it and enhance my arbitrage with this thing. And so the whole conference and my kind of perspective on it will be, how do we bring this technology and make it super clear to people in other industries to see the value in it as a value enhancer rather than replacement? No one wants to replace supply chains, they're useful, right? But we wanna make them better and create value from reducing inefficiency. So. For me, it's how do you explain that to them and bring it to them and empower them so that they can enhance that arbitrage and win. And maybe supply chains will be female dominated next. <laughs> oh, that's a, so I wanted to come back to a couple of things you said, including uh, supply chain. So you've used the word arbitrage a lot, and I know it's going to come up in the technology you've built. And uh, when I was right after lockdown lifted and I was able to start traveling and I've been traveling a lot. Um, one of the very first family offices 
conferences I was able to attend post pandemic was in the Middle East. And this is when ports all over the world were getting backed up with cargo ships and things couldn't be off boarded or on boarded and things were just at a, at a, a gridlock. And now I know this isn't your tech directly, but the one thing that was mentioned as an industry that had been totally underserved for technology was supply chain. And supply chain was totally ripe for disruption. Um, Some of the companies that I'm mentoring and involved in are different supply chain technology companies in the United States, um, all with slightly different use cases, but all with that understanding that it's an untapped market. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really interesting because one of the you know, when you think about uh, income inequality across like the consumer's perspective of society, uh, just individuals, right? It's it's strong, right? We see it everywhere. But when you think about, you know, income from a, from a business perspective, inequality in things like supply chain, it's massive, right? The, the difference between monopolies and these small guys, right? It's, you know, one or 2% of the market being, monopolistic and then everyone else being extremely small. And you see these monopolies, they create the efficiencies through uh, vertical integration and acquiring companies. That's still not the most efficient model, right? Because at the end of the day, if Keith, you're really good at producing supply chain technology, Annika, I'm really good at producing AI technology, for example, right? If we came together and you're producing what you're really good at and I'm producing what I'm really good at, we're creating a massive positive effect on the economy and we're specializing and we're working together. And if you can enable that with technology, you can empower all those small companies to be as powerful as the big guy who vertically integrated because he's producing everything that he's not that good at producing plus the thing he's good at. Whereas we have a technological stitching under us and we're producing everything that we're each good at, but covering all of our backs with each other, if that makes sense. It totally does. I mean, I, I came out of very large tech and I've dealt with very large tech earlier in my career to mid career. And I would say, you know, example, cause I, you know, I run the Cisco Alumni Association. There was a time when, when Cisco was up and coming back in the 90s, late 90s dot com era, that it would point to everyone else and say, hey, look, they're proprietary. We're we're not open source, but we're open for integration. Right. And of course, um, Cisco itself had its own proprietary parts that people can penetrate. And then now we are you know, two decades later, and there have been other companies that have disrupted a lot of what used to be Cisco's core. So. Um, we can use this other example just because you're an expert in many different fields. Web 1.0 is static content and Web 2.0 are, whether people realize it or not, you get your Amazon, your Ebays, um, Disney Plus. All these are companies that are serving you and you think that you have uh, freedom, but actually there's a lot of... Uh, control involved with that whether people realize that or not so web three this terminology where like you get to read write and own you get to actually have input output but you actually have sovereignty in the actions you're taking that's kind of what i think about in terms of when we start talking about coral and your technology and what you're working on yeah i think yeah it's a really good point i think from the other perspective because you're talking a lot about which makes a lot of sense it's like the kind of um, provision of, of services and who owns the value associated. From another perspective, 
uh, a, a man from Andreessen Horowitz, uh, one of the partners there, he he spoke about the progression of tech companies mm-hmm. and how their business models changed in parallel to that. And I'll talk to that because it's kind of important in the context of Coral and what you said. You had the ERP companies at first, right? And yeah. that was more internal resource management. You pay them a massive fee. You get this software. They customize it for you. You have it there, right? Then you have the spinoffs in the 2000s, something like Salesforce or what have you, where you get a license. It's more customizable. There are modules, but they make their money off of service fees and consulting. And you really need to pay them and work with them to make the technology work for you well. Then And, and that started becoming slightly external, CRMs, right? It starts right. being and like they, and they got, your customers. They became the bigger ones. They became, I mean, you saw, you said it already, like yeah. they kept acquiring, they kept getting bigger licensing and the subscriptions got more and more. And you can't, you can't extricate yourself from that. Uh, before we move on, because we're out of time on this segment and we're getting into the really nitty gritty, um, you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Special guest today is Annika Monari, co-founder and CEO of Coral. We've been talking a lot about her background, her expertise, um, all her thought leadership in certain fields such as blockchain, AI, and earlier uh, particle physics. Uh, We're now just getting into what she's passionate about in relationship to her company, Coral, which is a disruptive technology. Any questions or comments, you can email us at info at svn.biz. I'll be right back to hear more. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Don't go away. Keith will be right back with more Silicon Valley Insider. Now back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, Annika Monari, co-founder and CEO of Coral. Uh, We've covered her career. We've covered a lot about her passions and also being a pioneer and a up-and-cover women in tech. Uh, Annika, welcome back. Thank you. So just to wrap up what we were talking about in the last segment, which was a really great conversation, uh, we were talking about the rise of what I'll call monolithic companies, ERPs, and then um, how CRMs are trying to disrupt it, like in terms of size and scale, and how companies like Salesforce also became big and their business model also became something encumbered. Where do you think the models from the 2020s, where do you think that that customer model is moving towards in terms of technology? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So with ERP, it was internal within a company. So you'd sell to like the CEO and they'd manage their company. Then you had the CRM, which was kind of selling to more like a CSO um, or something, something, something of that nature, where it starts to then engage with customers, but the customers aren't being engaged. They're being managed in that model. Then in the 2010s, you started seeing things like Slack come up, right? Which was starting to go bottom-up sales. So it became a tool that developers in an organization were using. One of my my head of engineering says that at some point, one team started using Slack and then all of them started using it. The, the CTO was forced to buy it, you know? So it was like a bottom-up sale rather than going top-down. Right. But then now in the, you know, 2010s, 2020s sort of thing, it started becoming a lot more 
actually departments and even people pay small subscriptions for tech to help their day-to-day, like Monday.com or Asana or something like this, right? And people monetizing in that way. And that's really where you start to see the rise of Web3 and all of these different things. And essentially for me, the next trend where it all comes together, AI, Web3, the next model is the bridging of consumer and and business essentially. And so the tool that you're using for ordering food, right, as a consumer, people look at that and they say, why isn't this as easy to do when I'm running my business, right? Why do I have to procure goods by using a fax or like email, you know, why can't I just open an app and do it, right? And so the the whole idea is what we're really doing at Coral is we're bridging that gap essentially. And we're seeing how do we make something like B2B e-commerce effortless, and almost exactly like B2C e-commerce. Because in the rise of B2B e-commerce, people are looking more at the 2000s and 2010 models of like licensing and selling to the CSO or CEO, what have you, instead of saying, hey, why don't we treat these guys like consumers? Why don't we treat these guys like people who just need everyday tools that they can use for everything and make it really easy for their old systems to transition into the new and open up the digital world? And so with Coral, we're building B2B e-commerce technology as a service that essentially it's integrationless tech to open up e-commerce to vendors with older ERP IT systems, right? They have a web 1.0, as you were saying, web page where they sell stuff, where their catalog is. And we use AI to essentially mimic the human ordering process and the human catalog browsing process and turn that into an API that any e-commerce platform can call and use to basically uh, trade with them. So they don't have to change anything. They don't have to integrate anything. They don't need any specialist knowledge or costs. We've already integrated them and they don't even know it. And then we go to them and we say, hey, look, we've opened up this world for you. Use our payments, use our technology, and we will you know, smaller vendors, larger vendors, whoever they are, but we will give you the same comparative advantage, that same arbitrage that a large company has when they acquire smaller ones by just being yourself through technology. That's a great concept. What I was saying that in my career before going out on my own, it's a lot of supply chain, a lot of technology purchasing. And one of the things you said is like, I've worked at small, I've worked at very large companies and I've worked at mid-sized companies and the mid-sized companies do not have the same leverage that a large company has. And small companies certainly don't have that leverage. So what I'm hearing is basically through your technology, giving any size company, but especially small companies that leverage through the volume and going through the system that basically your integration work is giving them access to things that they wouldn't have access to before because they just didn't have well price discovery for one thing yeah yeah it's like if you look at these markets you in supply chain especially you have really large guys at every rung and they do almost a little bit of everything but then you have smaller guys that have a Real coming back to that word, I think it's like the theme of the of the podcast. Yeah, arbitrage. They're specialized in something. So maybe a distributor comes from the vitamins industry, and so they have really good connections that they can get those really cheap. 
But, you know, unless they sell a bunch of different goods, not just vitamins, they don't have the revenue and the working capital to then acquire customers and do logistics properly and all these things. And so you have these small companies with a lot of value, but it's almost locked, right? And so for me, it's like, how do you bridge those companies and make them as powerful by each one who specializes, almost stitching them together into a network where you almost have a, if you look really macro, it looks like a large company that's just really good at everything rather than the large companies today that are kind of good at everything, right? Because now you have these really specialized, amazing companies that are able to work together as efficiently or more efficiently than a large company with technology and just do what they're really good at. And for us, what we do, we take care of customer acquisition, we take care of integrations, that whole front office side of what they do, they don't really have to worry about and they just do what they do best. For me, that's that's that 2020s technology. It's making businesses as efficient as consumers and bridging the two together. So that's a great vision. Walk us through an example of how that would work in a transaction. Yeah, sure. So for example, in the UK, uh, there are, so we, we start in food and beverage. It's applicable globally and it's applicable to any industry, our, our AI and our ultimate technology. But the way it works is this, any retailer can come over and essentially add a vendor by going through a series of prompts that allow him to identify key semantic steps in purchasing from a vendor, viewing their catalog, comparing it to other catalogs, et cetera. And by the end of that journey that we go through, the retailer can add any vendor they purchase from, compare all of their prices, compare all of their products, discover new products and order from them through an API we create that's essentially an AI sitting and pretending to be him ordering from the vendor, essentially. And then we go to the vendor and we say, hey, look, we have this thing. It's free. You know, use this. And we can now start unlocking e-commerce for you. So we can let you sell on Amazon. We can let you sell on Instagram. We can let you sell on uh, Recce or Fair, any of these platforms that today you have to manually upload things. You have to integrate their APIs, which cost between 50 and 100,000 pounds. But we'll, we just have it done for you. And so there they can acquire so many more customers because all these platforms, they have retailers, they have businesses on them purchasing. And so by connecting these guys up to all of these different platforms, customer acquisition is taken care of for them. And that's their biggest pain point. So in the UK, a particular example is there's this plant-based distributor who's fantastic. They have 20% cheaper prices, 15% cheaper prices than everyone in the market. But the cost of acquiring customers is it's high. It's very high. And so they can't invest in that part of things and they can't go against the incumbents. So by integrating them in this way, integrationless integration, pairing them up to different e-commerce platforms and also our own app where we have retailers on board, we're then able to not only offer immediate signup and purchasing through them for the different retailers and via the different e-commerce platforms, we're able to bring them you know, 70%, 100% more customers than they already have and let them do this by being what they're really good at instead of having to worry about all these things that aren't their specialization or their passion. Yeah, I mean, the value proposition proposition is very strong. 
Um, how do they demo or how do they actually get a hold or sign up for the, the service? So we are product-led growth through and through. And what I mean by that is our goal is if anyone comes to our website, we want to deliver them enough value in the right series of steps that they get to where they want to be. So just go to the Coral website. Today, we're still starting out. We were only founded earlier last year. I funded the business myself, and then we you know, did a couple of funding rounds. So we then started building out the AI and building out the product. Uh, now we're going into like patents and all this sort of stuff. But for now, we are working with customers closely. They can sign up to the wait list, and we put them into cohorts, and we work really closely with them and figure out their exact needs so that we can make sure that as the technology scales, we are catering to the people we want to cater to, those businesses, big or small, that are passionate and specialized in certain things and have all this other crap that they have to worry about that they don't want to worry about. And we want to essentially learn what that crap is and take care of it for them with our AI. That's great. Can you give us the website? Yeah, it's coral.shop. Coral.shop. Kind of hard to, uh, hard to miss. <laughs> C-O-R-A-L dot S-H-O-P. Yes, exactly. We're not a gaming site, by the way. There's a gaming company called Coral. That is not what we are. We are a e-commerce, B2B e-commerce infrastructure platform to enable growth. All right. Well, for more information, go to coral.shop. Uh, we want to hear more about what's going on, Annika. So I'm definitely going to have you back on a future show to talk more about your company. But don't go away because when we do our final segment on today's show, we're going to talk about generative AI, how applications like ChatGPT, how those can also be thought of and how they're integrating with the types of services that Annika and team are building. Any questions or comments, you can email us at info at svin.biz. We'll be right back to finish for questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Don't go away. Keith will be right back with more Silicon Valley Insider. Insider. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Insiders, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Throughout today's show, I've had Annika Monari, co-founder and CEO of Coral. We've talked about her career, starting off at Imperial College London, going to start as a particle physicist, finding her entrepreneurial spirit, leading women in tech, and also blockchains and now artificial intelligence. But uh, latest endeavor, Coral, which is an AI-driven e-commerce platform, simplifying how customers can get well, customers can get their customers B2B and B2C. So welcome back, Annika. Thanks so much for having me, Lee. So for the end of this show, because uh, you're an expert in this, I wanted to talk about what's been really popular the last couple of months. And when I say popular, it's not popular for the sake of being popular, but truly transformative in terms of how people are understanding that this technology exists and what it could mean, uh, both optimistic and pessimistic, which is generative AI, applications like ChatGPT, MidJourney, Dolly, Stable Diffusion, um, as we speak, right? Google had announced their competitor to ChatGPT, which is called Bard, and then Microsoft had also simultaneously announced how they're going to use OpenAI, ChatGPT's parent, in like 
integration into the browser in a more of a chat GPT on steroids type of way. So we're not going to get into all of that, but I wanted to kind of go back to, we've been talking about your company, Coral, how you're empowering customers, you're empowering price discovery, getting rid of inefficiencies, helping your customers uh, find customers faster, be able to lower their prices. How does generative AI play into what you're doing and then broader, what's it look like in the future? Eric, good question. It's funny, actually. ChatGPT is a shunned word in my company. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It's a great tool. It's just when when I have my content guys and whatever say, "Oh yeah, I wrote this thing with ChatGPT." I I sit there and I say, "Oh, better check that," you know, just before. But actually, when you look at it, it's amazing and it, it's almost flawless a lot of the, like most of the time. I think you know, for me, these tools they we've seen it with Microsoft's attempt on Twitter a while back. Now ChatGPT, they have a lot of data coming in from the world wide web. But as we know, the voices in the world are stronger and weaker in different places. And they are they have money behind them oftentimes to promote certain voices over others. The thing with these tools when they are really broad from a semantic perspective, like they can do everything, is the weighting to the different inputs in the different areas is not unbiased because the world is biased. It's not their fault. It's just our information is biased. So obviously they're gonna be biased. Right. My opinion on it is what we're doing at Coral in particular with generative uh, and even you know, supervised and very uh, specific targeted AI is we're trying to reduce the semantic scope of what the AI works within. So for example, in B2B e-commerce, you view products, you compare products, you place orders, you compare suppliers, you add to basket, you view your orders, you pay, right? There's a very finite number of semantic functions you perform in that space. And the idea is by doing that, you're able to, in some ways, reduce bias because you're just reducing scope. And also therefore, have the AI find nuances and patterns that when you have a way broader scope, you just can't really find. So for example, for this particular type of customer who orders like this, maybe they should try this product, or maybe they should buy from this supplier, or maybe they should change their inventory from this to this. But those nuances and patterns you're able to then find because your overall data scope is just smaller, right? So it's more powerful within that. And so that's kind of how we're we're using it. We're using it in order to get better and better and more automated at integrating any vendor with any kind of online presence across any supply chain. So we look at their website, we look at their behavior, we compare it to other ones we've seen, and we're able to say, okay, here are the brands, here are the categories, here are the products. This is the same product as that other vendor's product, and this is how you order. And over time, we learn and we get better the more of them we see, so that in theory, we could let it loose at some point in the future, and it can just integrate everyone together. <laughs> that's That's kind of the goal. Yeah, no, I I can't agree with you more. You know, one thing I know we we know each other outside the show. So, one thing, and I, I think I'm going to make some folks upset. ChatGPT is a very powerful tool, uh, but there are limitations. The data set, as I said many times, it's actually the data set right now is only to 2021. So, somebody um, a few weeks ago had told me that they built a Bitcoin prediction engine off of ChatGPT. I'm like, but it didn't account for 2022, which of course was a very bad year for crypto. And yeah. you know, I, I call it a parlor trick because it's really good at the output, but you can't validate the data and it doesn't, it, it's, it's looking at a very large data set and it's very impressive in sounding authoritative, but it could be completely wrong. And so, you know, I think the point you were making is that, and it's something that our company guardian Insight group, my own consulting firm is working on is, you know, custom AI that is very targeted and very accurate in not a very large data set, but a very specific data set to get those, um, enhanced learnings, that's the really valuable part of what we're doing. It's not that you can look at the entire, everything that's ever been published on the internet. You want to actually see what are the best samples or what are the most relevant data, sift through that, and then improve upon that to get to something that is really valuable versus just being able to regurgitate something. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm in London right now, and we've had ongoing train strikes on and off for the last years. And the, the ultimate cause, the root cause, was starting to talk about technology replacing the people working in trains. And I, AI and ChatGPT, all these things, they, they're kind of positioned uh, through, I, I'm not saying it's anyone's fault, right? But, you know, it's fascinating to people, right? It's fascinating that an AI, it's this virtual human, so it can do everything a human can do. But it's a misconception, really. And it's frankly not the best way of positioning the technology because it that's not what it's for. You know, we're obviously friends. You were telling me about you know having AIs write grant applications and things like this or write research papers or identify plagiarism. You know, the way and what my company does, which is a very specific thing, it's very much doing something that people who are already really good at something else, like finding and procuring goods and selling them on or distribution, right, logistics, they have to do all this other stuff, right? And it takes up their time and it makes them less able to concentrate on what they're good at. Like a scientist writing a grant application, they have to worry about how it's structured and all this stuff. You know, where AI and where technology is really valuable, and this is what I was saying about reducing that scope of where it works, you're able to actually assist a human. It's a human assistance tool. It's like, take care of all this stuff I'm not that good at, and I'll do what I'm really good at. And I think that's a really important important point, and the companies that are going to really win, um, OpenAI has one right so it's not it's not against it's not against them they can do what they want now it's more i think the real power of the technology is going to be those that use it to enable humans to be good at what they're really good at and take care of the stuff that's right now done inefficiently because people don't have the time or the passion for it yeah absolutely i think it's a great point to end on but we'll definitely have you come back because there's so much that's going to be happening next few years and beyond in this area so annika thanks again for being here thank you so much for having me so you've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Special guest today is Annika Monari of Coral. If you want more information on her company, you would go to coral.shop or you can email us at info at svi.biz and we will see you. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. If you missed any portion of today's program or would like to listen to past programs, you'll find the podcasts online at svin.biz. That's svin.biz. Be sure to listen again next week at this time for more Silicon Valley Insider right here on this station.